When I received the invitation to share God's word in chapel, I thought to myself, oh, what an honor. But when the schedule came out and I noticed that I was sandwiched between Dr. Bill Mounds, who spoke yesterday, whose Greek grammar was like we had to memorize everything at Gordon Conwell, listen to his lectures on tape, and then I noticed preaching tomorrow will be my mentor from Gordon Conwell and even down here, Dr. Tennant. I said, what was the chapel committee thinking about? <laughs> well, I quickly comforted myself that, well, I'm so glad that Dr. Bill Mounds will leave the exegesis for him to handle. And then for Dr. Tennant, he will actually handle all the theology. We will just talk about our stories. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, here we are before your presence this morning. Speak to us and be glorified. As we reflect, O oh God, on our own stories, your story, that your name will be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Growing in a, a Nigerian village with my grandparents and my parents, my grandmother, who actually loved all people, would have young children come to the house in the evening. They would sit there, she would tell stories. And these were life-transforming stories of heroes of the past and wonderful women that have actually blessed the lives of people. She would tell us these stories in form of myths. And these myths actually shaped my perception of the world. The stories she told me, even though not a Christian at that time, she wasn't a Christian. But these stories were so meaningful and they became like the template at which I looked at the world. Until I came to meet Jesus Christ and something else happened. Every one of us seated here this morning and those of, that are watching us in other places, we all have stories. Some stories are the stories of very difficult experiences in our lives. Some stories are the stories of difficult experiences at work, difficult experiences with family members, stories of ministry, stories of being a seminary student, stories of being a seminary staff and even the stories of being a professor in the seminary. Some of these stories are very pleasant, but some of these stories are heartbreaking and are touching. None of us seated here would say that there has been no time in your life that something happened that touched your heart, that you can hardly put away. We all have stories. Our stories, to some extent, actually shape our perception of realities. They influence our response to situation and people. Our stories define the core of our being and our existence. But hidden in our stories are the mission that drives our life. Our stories are in bits and pieces. They are not the best stories sometimes, 
They are imperfect stories. But I want to tell us this morning that there is a meta-narrative, a grand story that everyone that is a follower of Jesus is brought into and our little stories are brought together and they are knitted into a beautiful story that God intends to use to deliver the world from the pains that we are in. And that story is in our hands. It is the story that has a mission. It is the story of Jesus Christ. At a very significant stage in his life and ministry, just one year, about one year into his ministry, when he was transitioning, a very important transition, when he was transitioning from gathering a bunch of disciples to training them, Jesus traveled to Nazareth where he was brought up. It was in Nazareth where Jesus himself received his training and where he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all people. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, we're going to see this. As his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, where he opened to Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 to 2. There he read out what became more of his mission. It became more of his mission statement. As you look back into your story, as you look at where you are today, just imagine, does your story have a mission statement? But Jesus read this passage which is so significant to his life and ministry in, in verse 4, I mean in chapter 4, verse 18 of Luke. He read the text, which was more, I mean, taken from Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 and 2. Having been empowered as the Spirit of the Lord was upon him and had anointed him, and this was reference, we know, to his baptism, when the Spirit of the Lord came, and actually it, we had a voice where it made it clear that he was and he is the Son of God, in whom God himself is well pleased. This was very significant. He quoted, I mean, this came in. Then he read, and this mission statement goes this way. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because... He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the, uh, to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The statement in Luke 4 verse 18 to 19 summarizes the story of Jesus it summarizes his ministry, what was to follow in his life, what he was to do as recorded in the Gospels. Even though we don't actually have his full explanation of the text, but we have the opening statement of that explanation in verse 21, where he said, you know, after reading, he handed over the scroll back, he went and sat down, and all eyes were on him. I wonder if it were one of us today, we would, we would just say, okay, they are waiting to hear. And then we'll jump up and start babbling and saying a lot of things. But Jesus 
seated. In verse 21. And he began saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And if you read verse 22, it's like the whole story changed. We're never given the explanation of, I mean, what he told them. We didn't read more about that. But it will not be wrong to say that the rest of his ministry fills in the rest of the explanation. So I want to tell you, and I want to tell all of us this morning, that I feel like when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's just the beginning of the great and wonderful things that God wants to do in our lives. The way we live, the stories that we actually internalize will now shape what God is doing on this earth to transform the lives and situations of people, sometimes that you may not even know. As we see, I mean, because of time, I'll just look at two uh, points that he raised here, I mean, that were uh, written here in verse, in chapter eight, I mean, verse 18. Yes, Jesus preached the gospel to the poor. It might be best to read this as the spirit of the Lord was upon Jesus and anointed him to proclaim the good news. His proclamation was both in words and in action as evidenced by his life. If you look at chapter 9, verse 6, the Bible there says, So they set out, that's Jesus and his disciples, they set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. So he was not just going around and saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. But they went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Listen, this probably wouldn't have been possible, but we read at the beginning of that section in verse 18 that Jesus said, this, I mean that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me. Brothers and sisters, it wouldn't have been possible for Jesus at that time with the difficulty of the context to have been able to go out and preach the good news despite the fact that it was so difficult. And mind you, he was actually walking. Sometimes he borrows a donkey. But today we are so comfortable in our settings that we will not do God's work unless we see the kind of car we are going to drive. And some of you that are exposed to so many preachers in some places, some of us will better understand that. We will not even go out to preach unless we have a motorcade. We have an entourage of people. Have people guarding us, bringing us to the pulpit and stand there and preach. We have people guarding us as we preach. That was not what Jesus did. He went from village to village. And I think I could say he walked from village to village. There are some times that the comfort that we have in our lives, they hinder us going to places that God wants us to go. They keep us in one place. They help us to make so much fat budgets. You know, one thing I really appreciated when I came to the United States was the so much planning that, puts, that is put into mission work. 
And sometimes the mission work is not even done because you're still planning. But Jesus went from village to village preaching the good news and healing the sick. Because he had the power and he was moved with that compassion because he had that mission and that was his focus and he went on to preach the good news. This means that the gospel Jesus Christ proclaimed was not limited to the spiritual issues and needs, but certainly included various forms of physical deliverance and came in, I mean, that came through the ministry of Jesus Christ. The New Testament actually presents to us two forms of poor people, and there are two terms for that. Number one, the poor who walked in the field as compared to the great landowners that will not even walk. And then we had another category of poor people in the New Testament. We have another category if we look at it carefully. These are the people that don't even have jobs. These are the people that actually, they were beggars and destitutes. Listen, this is the category of begging poor that the gospel, the gospels, all the four Gospels mostly are talking about the begging poor, the destitute, those who are cast out, those who society considers as being nothing. The Gospel that was part of Jesus' mission was not just about his providing grace and forgiveness to sinners through his death and resurrection. But if I'm, if I'm reading the story of Jesus' life rightly, it was also about giving back to the begging poor, their humanity that has been taken away from them by circumstances and by society. Sometimes, the way we look at people actually take away their dignity and humanity. They may not financially be poor, but we have put them in categories or have labeled them. We have brought them down to a level that their humanity is not felt by us because we judge them. We don't give them a chance. These were the begging poor that Jesus was talking about. That, you know, these people also need to be reached. You know, when, when I came to the United States, I went to Gordon Conwell Strait. I worked in the cafeteria, just like most international students would do. My heart was burdened. Every night, we would trash tons and tons of cooked food. I was hurting inside, but my hurting actually turned into tears. When we went downtown Boston, when I was exposed to Roxbury, through a program Dr. Tennant and others actually uh, introduced to the seminary, Boston Plunge, I saw homeless people. I saw people that could not feed themselves, that were hungry. I came back and asked my supervisor, I said, why do we have to turn away and, and trash all this food when there are people who are hungry there? He took time to explain to me all the legal implication of us taking cooked food out and how it is not safe, we may be sued if something happened. Now, and the question that came to my mind quickly was, how long are we going to let the society, how long are we going to let the world dictate how we're going to follow Jesus Christ? Couldn't there be something 
that we could do. Rather than just thinking about all those legal implications. In those legal implications, if we focus our hearts there, Jesus will give us a way around it. Because his mission was to reach and touch the poor. And sometimes, quickly, when we talk about, you know, that the Spirit of the Lord was upon me and he has anointed me to, you know, preach the good news, I, I mean, to the poor. Sometimes our minds quickly go to all those destitutes and we forget about ourselves. Some of us are as poor as those destitutes out there. Because God wants to see his church. He wants to see us being hungry for the spirit. He wants to see us hungry for his word. He wants to see us as people who are craving to just consume what he has in his word. But we don't pay attention. We are so poor about the passion to know the master who has sent us. So much so that we miss the mark and we miss the mission he has given us. Talking about seminary students, sometimes mid-semesters like this, you even forget to pray. You even forget to go to chapel. You even forget to spend time with those people you love. You even forget to actually be quiet and listen to the Spirit of God. We are so poor in that aspect that we only need the Spirit of God to help us sometimes because of how busy we are. And now we have something that has actually taken away all the leisure time we're supposed to, to have. Even if you have the little time, your phone is there. You are flipping one thing to the other. You are looking at so many things. We don't have any time to be still and know that he is God who can bring transformation at this stage, beginning from where we are. Jesus came not only to deliver people from sin, death, and the devil, but also from enemies, from injustices, bondage, and various kinds of human wickedness. He came to heal and restore the brokenhearted. He came to restore the brokenhearted. Jesus is familiar with pain and suffering, a man of sorrow, who can turn our tears into laughter and our griefs into joy. All of this, of course, was good news to the Jewish people at the time of Jesus, who had lost loved ones, land, jobs, due to the policies of the Roman government and the practices of the Roman military. Today, we have people who are brokenhearted, not only out there, but even in our churches, even in the seminary, even in your own class, even in your own family. Perhaps you are brokenhearted in one way or the other. It wouldn't take time if we begin to look at what is happening in the world today to know that so many people are living with their hearts broken. Let me read a text message that came to me around 7.30 this morning. This, this was sent uh, by one of the elders that I worked with for, for several years back in Nigeria. He said, my pastor, please arise and call upon the Lord Almighty concerning our children in Mubi, Adamawa State, who have been attacked by Boko Haram today. Some are in the bush, road, hills, or in hiding. Amongst them are my son, Musa Gimba Ndandop and my grandchildren. 
pray for the Lord's intervention. This is the cry of a broken-hearted grandfather. This is the cry of so many people in the Middle East because ISIS has wrecked their community. They do not know what is peace. They do not know what it means to sleep on a bed. I called Ndandok and said, so now, I mean, tell me what happened. He said, these, young, these children had to leave and try to escape to Cameroon and then back into the mountains in Nigeria and they're hiding in the mountains. They don't know what it means to have the pleasure of sleeping on a bed. Jesus has called us to actually go to heal the brokenhearted. How do you minister to some people like that if you have not actually been anointed by the Spirit of God and have been prepared and he has healed your heart and he has transformed you whereby you can cry with them when they cry. You can listen to them when they speak. You can speak comfort to them when they are hurting. Some of us, we think coming into Christian ministry is just coming to get a degree and there you go. No, it's more than that. It's more than studying Greek. It's more than studying every other subject in the seminary. It comes from a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Because the situation out there is so huge. The pains that people are passing through today, we cannot bear those pains by all the Greek that we learn. So let me say something. Perhaps if you are too eager writing papers, I'm not saying that you should get an F. Get an A. It's good. But all those A's, when you go to the seminary, you'll be com confronted with situations. And you say, they never taught us this in seminary. But if you are in the school of prayer with Jesus, if you are in the school of fellowship with Jesus, even those things that you were not taught in the class, the Spirit of God will bring his wisdom unto you. And that is how you'll be able to heal the brokenhearted. That is how they will come at you and you will be able to stand there and say that Jesus with us, who sent us, whose mission we are carrying out, is able to lead us out. It is so disheartening today that many of us go into ministry without really looking at the person who called us into ministry. Perhaps, maybe, some are not even called. It's not surprising because we have a pastor who could preach like an angel. If he preached, people would repent. But he never had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ until that day Jesus visited him. And thank God he did not hide it. He made it public. He said, I have had an encounter with Jesus where I now understand what it means to be a child of God and I receive Jesus in my life, even as a pastor. So it's not surprising. Just check your mind. Look at your story. What does your story tell? Some of us, our story are still replaying back all the violence that the enemy has taught us before we became Christians. Some of us, the, the stories that we are living out are the stories that actually the enemy is taking hold of. And he has not released us. You know, if we look at Jesus, how he was able to stay focused on this mission is the fact that he did not start on his own. He was anointed by the Father. 
seek to know if you actually have had that encounter with Jesus Christ. Whereby you can say, yes, he took my life and he changed me. And this is who I am now. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. And that is where your story begins. You know, Jesus, when he was confronted with all this pressure, he stayed in close relationship with the Father. If you look at, Mark said it in chapter 5, verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place to pray. Remember, this is the second person in the Trinity. He is God. He became man. And he will go out to pray. And then who are we? Who do you think you are? Who do I think I am? If I will lose that touch, I cannot make it. Thirdly, he set his mind on the mission. Because even when he knew that he was going to be arrested in Jerusalem, in chapter 9 of Luke verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Nothing will change his mind. Nothing will change his course. And look at what he said in chapter 9, verse 62. When he was asked, he said, Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Listen. No one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, let me ask us. What is it that is making us to look back? Some of us were in business. Some of us were very important people. Some of us were in high positions. We gave those up and came to follow Jesus. Do you normally find yourself tempted looking back to those days? Some of us felt we would just go and study quantum physics or some weird subjects like that. But Jesus... <laughs> But Jesus called you and said, come, follow me. I want to make you fish, a fisher of men. I want to actually prepare you. Do you find yourself looking back? When you are confronted with situations, where do you look to? Jesus looked to the Father. You have to look to the Father in order to shape your story so that your story will now be the story of the healing of the brokenhearted, the story that will heal the generation we are in today. My grandmother's stories shaped my perception of reality. But when I met with Jesus, he took my little story and gave it a new meaning, a new mission. He gave me what to live for. What is your story? Perhaps you may still be living in the pain of your old story. But Jesus wants to redeem that story. And he wants to use that story. Let's pray together. Father, here we are. There is no one that is here that came by accident. We just pray that, Father, O oh Lord, that you will shape our stories. That our story will be fitted in the grand narrative, your big story, to bring healing to this broken world. For in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen.